Well, what a great joy to be here with you all and uh, to wish you a happy new year. And uh, to tell you a little about our news, we, uh, we are always glad to be back with our Palm Vista family. This is a, a time of refreshment, really a sweet refreshment for us. And, uh, and especially last week as we had a chance to sit under Corey's preaching and, uh, and, and again be reminded of our adoption in Christ and uh, not only our, our standing and our status that he showed us, but really that, that this idea of adoption is far more than just a metaphor, a picture of who we are in Christ. It is really about uh, not just that, but how we live in light of that. And uh, that moved us a few years ago to consider uh, adopting a child. We uh, began a process about three years ago, and it's about to come to fruition now, to completion. In just two weeks, uh, we will travel uh, to Manila in the Philippines, and uh, we've been told we have a little boy who is three years old. His name is Miguel Joseph, and uh, he will be united with our family in just a couple of weeks, and uh, he will have immediately two big sisters uh, and three mothers. <laughs> so we are, uh, we are excited about that day, and we were, uh, we were truly moved uh, last week by uh, Corey's message, and really the importance of, of, of that metaphor in how we live our life and want to be faithful to the Gospels. We try and do that as a family well, I want, to, uh, I want to think with you this morning through uh, the topic of faith. As we uh, begin a new year, this is a, uh, an appropriate place to start. As we think about true faith in a true God. And we're going to turn to the book of Jeremiah, just the opening verses, uh, to uh, look at this topic of true faith. And uh, Jeremiah is really a model for us in this in this area. So maybe you're asking as you come this morning, as you begin a new year, maybe you're asking about the nature of God and who is He and what, what is the import of that for me as I think about this year ahead, as I think about our life and or my life and, and the direction it should take and the course it should take. Or maybe you're, you're really asking about faith and you're wondering, what does that mean as I, as I question God, as I, as I ask, as I seek to understand, as I, as I ask, really, what does it mean to believe and to trust in Him? That's where we want to spend our time this morning as we look to, to God's Word. But before we do that, let me pray, and then we'll uh, take a look at Jeremiah. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in this day. We rejoice in the realities of the Gospel, Lord, and what You have accomplished on our behalf, that we might be called children of God. What a glorious thing. And we ask, Lord, as we gather together as family, as we marvel at Your power and Your wisdom, even displayed in the life of Jeremiah, that, that we would be marked and transformed and changed even as we as we sit here and we look to Your Word and we gaze upon You, Christ, that You would so move in our hearts by Your Spirit as to draw us near unto Yourself and to shape us 
and to give us grace to hear Your Word and respond in faith. Even greater faith. Then we would do this for Your glory. And we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, this past spring afforded us an opportunity as a family to travel throughout parts of Europe, and uh, including the city of Rome, which was a great highlight for our family. Uh, you wouldn't be surprised to hear that in our travels throughout this grand city, we made our way to the Sistine Chapel, really this uh, masterpiece, wanting to behold its beauty and its grandeur, and And as we made our way there, we were surrounded by many, but it seemed like we were the only ones there as we were captivated by the beauty of of this building, of this artwork from Michelangelo. 12,000 square feet of ceiling with more than 300 biblical scenes portrayed in vibrant, rich color. One of those scenes is of the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is lamenting the fall of his beloved Jerusalem. It is obvious the anguish and the sorrow that he has in the way his face has been portrayed, the misery and the distress that this is causing him as he he watches Jerusalem destroyed by Babylon. And though this is a fitting scene to capture, it's really not the sum of Jeremiah's life. For he's a prophet who had an amazing confidence in God. He he had an incredible trust and faith and hope in the one true God, even amidst great destruction and calamity. He believed in the one true living God. And we are going to look to him this morning to to grasp an understanding of true faith. So if you are able, let us, uh, let's look to the uh, opening verses of the book of Jeremiah. It says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests, who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. These opening verses give us a picture of, of really who Jeremiah is and what's going on, the context in which he is called to speak the Word of God. And this is what we learn. He's a pastor's son. He's one of the priests. He lived in an obscure little town of really no note. We're told in verse 6 that he's a young man. He's probably a teenager at this point. And his ministry covers the reign of three kings, all mentioned in in these opening verses. The span of about 40 years. What would be a pretty successful career by most standards. These three kings are, in a sense, uh, the State of the Union address that that Jeremiah is giving us. 
For they point to the decline of the nation as Jerusalem was, was in a downgrade, if you will. In a downward spiral. Josiah is the godly king. He is the reformer king. He brought many great things to the people of God in pursuing God and pointing them anew and afresh. But his reforms were, were superficial. They didn't last long. We realize that they were only reforms on the outside. They weren't, they weren't reforms of, of the heart. The second king is Jehoiakim. He's, he's the tyrant king. He's an evil king. He shed much innocent blood in the land. He had the prophet Uriah murdered for opposing him. And he opposed Jeremiah at every turn. So Jehoiakim, he was an evil king. He, he burnt the scroll of the prophet containing the word of God to him. He was, he was a hardened king against God and the things of God. He was unjust and wicked by nature. He followed in the ways of Manasseh, we're told in the Scriptures. And the third king is Zedekiah, another evil king, the brother of Jehoiakim. And he was a, he was a waffling king. He changed his mind back and forth. He was vacillating often in his decision. And his mind changed like the wind. So we can only marvel if we understand Zedekiah at his foolishness, really, at his stupidity as well as his wickedness. So Jeremiah had four decades of ministry alongside these three kings. Yet the most telling description of the affairs of Israel is found in verse 3, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. In, in the span of Old Testament history, over the course of hundreds of years, there's a couple of dates that stand out. After uh, the Exodus, and then uh, the reign of David, the establishment of a monarchy and a united kingdom, there comes a divide between the north and the south. And in 722, the north would be conquered by Assyria. And then in 586, the south, with Jerusalem as its capital, would be conquered by Babylon, the superpower of the day. And, and this is the scene that Jeremiah is taking in. This is the, 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 the downward spiral of Jerusalem and what has happened historically. And the Babylonians crushed Jerusalem. They were... They were um, they were truly uh, powerful in, in exacting punishment upon the Israelites and upon um, this land and this people. This is how the Scriptures describe it in the closing verses of 2 Kings. It says, In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzardan, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down the walls around Jerusalem. 
and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. This is the scene, the historical backdrop for Jeremiah. And this exile into Babylon essentially meant the end of Israel as a nation. No longer would they have their identity as such. See, the exile from their perspective looked like God was no longer in charge. He, they were now at the hands of the enemy. And they were being moved into a foreign land. And it meant that God had given up on them, so they thought. Well, we know from the, from the breadth of the Scriptures that it was really God's punishment against sin and rebellion. It was the discipline of a loving father toward his children. Never again would Israel be an independent nation. They would always exist under the hand of somebody else. So after the exile, there's, there's a series of monarchs in the land of Judah known as the Hasmoneans. And, and that is the period that will follow all the way till the coming of Christ. See, the exile in the taking of Israel into another culture, another land, another nation, gave God the opportunity to show that there was but one true God over all the heavens and all the earth. And these opening verses give us clear intimation into how God will show Himself to be that one true living God. Did you pick it up? at all in these verses, there's a refrain, a repeat that comes again and again. And it it begins to show us that even in the midst of this calamity that Jerusalem is experiencing, that the people of God know so personally and so well, God is active. And He speaks. And this is what it says. The Word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, that refrain again and again, that God speaks amidst tragedy, amidst turmoil, amidst chaos, amidst calamity. God speaks. You know what this means? It means that God is sovereign even amidst calamity. It means that He's in control even when things seem to be falling apart and that it looks like He maybe has abandoned us. It's not the case at all. God is sovereign amidst calamity. And He speaks amidst that calamity. He has something to say to His people in such a time as this. See, God promised Israel that if they continued in their rebellion, then He would carry them into exile. He would discipline them. And He's faithful to His Word. But He also provides for them amidst that time. You see, this is a sovereign God, even amidst heartache, even amidst anguish and sorrow and distress. This is the God that Jeremiah trusts in, that he turns to. This is the God who calls Jeremiah to himself to speak the Word of God 
amidst such a time. And this is the same God who speaks this very day through His Word. I don't know what brings you here this morning. I don't know what begins your new year. I pray and hope it's great joy and celebration and rejoicing in what God has done and is doing in your life. But I know this world well enough to know that that's not always our experience. That there is much, because we live in a fallen world, to cause us anguish and sorrow and distress. Maybe it's, maybe it's a downturn economy. Maybe it's joblessness. Maybe it's broken relationships. Maybe the joys of Christmas also remind you of the sorrows of Christmas. Maybe there are relationships that should be intact that are not. Maybe there are things that should have transpired that never took place. And that is the cause of sorrow for you or calamity. Maybe there's something more than that. Maybe there's sin that dominates, that has caused even greater harm in your life to yourself. That's your case. If that's the situation for you this morning, then then you need to listen up and hear what the Lord has to say through His Word to you. Because the Lord is determined to speak. The Word of the Lord came. The Word of the Lord came. The Word of the Lord came. He spoke. He is a persistent God. He is a resolute God. He is determined to speak even in the midst of chaos and crisis. And He will tirelessly pursue His people. That's the kind of God He is. And He does so with His Word. And this Word is an enduring Word. It it stops at nothing. It It is an everlasting Word because it has an eternal source. It comes from God Himself. It is is a lasting Word. It will go on forever. And it is an efficacious Word. It's an effective Word. It accomplishes its desired outcomes. It will work its purposes according to God's wisdom and God's design. This Word that came to the people of God amidst calamity. This is the God who speaks. It is the same God who speaks today amidst your calamity, amidst sorrow, amidst heartache, amidst anguish. Maybe you came across that news you never thought you would hear even this week. Maybe it was um, a particular encounter with, with uh, turmoil in your life. Something has gone terribly wrong and it is beginning to wreak havoc upon upon you. Or maybe your life is beginning to unravel before your very eyes. All the things you had hoped for and trusted in have, have, have faded like a mist. And you're wondering, what now? What now? If you're, if you're asking these kinds of questions, Lord, where are you? Where are you? How, how, how do I find you amidst this trial and this turmoil? Do you have anything to say to me? Have you abandoned me? If you're asking those kinds of questions, then, 
then Jeremiah has everything to say to you this day. Because he speaks on behalf of a God who speaks amidst calamity, and he trusts in that very God. That's the first mark of true faith. The second thing we begin to see from this passage is that this true God knows the unknown. He he knows what happens before it was ever brought to completion. He knows you before you ever existed. That's what he tells Jeremiah. He says, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah, before you were conceived, I knew you. Before you were created, I knew you. Before you were called, I knew you. And I have set you apart to be a prophet to the nations. I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. I have a direction for you, Jeremiah. I am calling you to be faithful amidst that. See, the true God has foreknowledge of all things. In in theological terms, we call that exhaustive divine foreknowledge. That is, He knows all things before they ever happen. And He knows them exhaustively. There's nothing He does not know, this one true living God. That's what we see here as He speaks to Jeremiah. He knows everything before it happens. You see, have you ever, in the midst of perhaps this turmoil that you're engaging or facing for the first time, do you wonder, Lord, do you even know what's going on in my life? Do you, do you know what, what is happening and, and, and the, the pain and the sorrow that it brings? Is this a surprise to you? If we understand what Jeremiah is saying, That is not a possibility. There are no surprises to God. What is an emergency or has great urgency for us is not an emergency from God's point of view. There are no unplanned crises. No surprises. As as one preacher likes to say, there are no contingency plans in the heavenly files. There's no plan B, no plan C, no plan D, E, or F. There's only one plan. It's plan A, and it's just as God designed it. In His sovereign wisdom and in His divine foreknowledge. See, God never turns to Jesus in the Holy Spirit and says, what are we going to do now? Not our God. Not the one true living God of Jeremiah. Not the God that he trusts in and hopes in. Friends, it's not, it's not determinism. It's, it's, not, it's not understanding that, that God just has a plan and that's it. Anything, and it's going to happen that way. In the midst of God's plan, I have full responsibility as I live life according to his call upon my life. That was the case for Jeremiah. It's the case for all who call upon Christ. So we have full responsibility, but we understand that God is wise 
and sovereign in the midst of that. He's not capricious. He, he has infinite wisdom and, and He determines purposes, His events for His divine purposes. See, God's wisdom and foreknowledge is always turned to a good purpose. That's how it was for Jeremiah, even amidst calamity. God called him, He consecrated him, He set him apart, and He consigned him to be a prophet to the nations. He gave him purpose and meaning and direction. See, if God is good, He designs, His designs are good. Even where there is heartache. And so it is for Jeremiah. You know that he wrote this lamentation, the book to follow, his lament, his sorrow over what he had seen. And yet, in the midst of that, this, this long excursus on, on the, the anguish of watching his beloved Jerusalem fall, he says this, in, in just about the dead center of that book, he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is the God that Jeremiah trusted in. This is the God who knows the unknown. And this is the God who knows your situation and the details of it and the particularities of it. And He has purposed a way amidst that, through that, that He would draw you to Himself, that you would turn to Him in renewed faith and trust and hope, that you would be reminded of His mercies new every morning, of His great faithfulness, of His steadfast, covenant, loyal, faithful love to His children. This is the God of Jeremiah. As I, uh, as I grew in uh, love for my wife and admiration of her, I, um, uh, as, I, as I understood her more, I, I became amazed at her ability to remain calm amidst crisis. It was, it was uh, just one of those distinct things about my wife that I noticed early on. While I was in school, Cindy worked as a, uh, as a pediatrics nurse, a nurse in a pediatrics intensive care unit at Children's Memorial Hospital. Now, this is a stressful unit, as you can imagine. The children who end up there are in great harm, in danger, and their life is at stake often. And a child can go from stable to a point of crisis in just a moment. And what I learned about my wife is that when that would happen, she remained perfectly calm. She was, she was in control. And, and even where there was danger and trauma, she was really the kind of person you would want there caring for your child when they were in harm's way. And it, it became apparent that... Um, that her ability to stay composed and collected was because of her knowledge 
She, she knew the situation. She knew what was going on in a child's life and the medical concerns and what would be the best course of action for that child in the midst of that crisis or trauma. She knew that medical situation well and thus was able to help that child in great need. The more I watched her in action, the, the more I gained in my confidence in her amidst those kind of situations. And so never did I have a concern for the well-being of our children. Because I knew if there was a crisis, if there was danger, if there was a trauma, my wife would know the right course of action for their well-being because of the knowledge that she possessed. You see, her knowledge instilled in me a growing confidence. And so it is with God. When I understand that He knows all things, everything, exhaustively, I grow in my confidence in Him amidst trials and trauma and tribulation. I'm able to trust in Him more and, and to, to put my faith in Him even where I don't know the outcome, even where I don't know the course of action that is to follow. See, for Jeremiah, it would mean great difficulty for him to, to accept this call to speak the Word of God unto a rebellious people at the time of exile would mean great opposition from a hardened people who rejected God It would mean great suffering for him. But he had a burden to declare God's Word and he would do so faithfully even unto these people. Even at the cost unto himself. That's what it means when I understand God's knowledge and how to live in light of that. We're not surprised then to see this third truth about God that brought about true faith in Jeremiah. And it is this, it comes out in verses 6 and following. That true faith is trusting in a God who provides amidst our weakness. This is what Jeremiah says, Then I said, O Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. See, Jeremiah was was daunted by his mission. And he shrank back from it. One commentator notes that not through cowardice that fears danger, nor through indolence that dislikes effort, nor through the selfishness that declines responsibility, but the diffidence of youth. That's what caused Jeremiah to shrink back. Because he was young and he 
he looked to himself. And he, he began to trust in his own abilities amidst this call. And the Lord is quick to correct him. I don't know what this year holds for you. I don't know what the Lord has planned in the months ahead. But I do know there will be times where you will come face to face with your weakness and your inadequacy. And there are two things you can do. You can either shrink back from what God has called you to and purposed you to, or you can turn to Him and trust Him even amidst your inadequacy and your weakness. And God desires you to do the latter and not the former. He wants you to turn to Him in trust to know that He will provide for you all that is needed amidst what He has called you to do. That is our faithful God. He provides for His people when He calls them to a task. Maybe last week you were moved by Corey's sermon. And you walked away thinking, how should we be involved in caring for the fatherless? Maybe, maybe we get involved in the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Maybe we consider adopting a child into our family. Maybe we support someone who is considering adoption, if that's not where the Lord has called us directly. Or maybe there's another way we need to be involved in caring for orphans and widows. Maybe as you thought through that, and maybe even prayed through it, you, you wondered, I don't know, Lord, I don't, I don't see how that could happen. We don't have the resources to do that. We don't have the time to do that. We don't have the relationships to make that happen. I want to suggest that, that if God is calling you under that task, then He will provide what is needed for you. And all He calls you to in the midst of that is to be faithful and to trust Him for those things. And this is what He provides for Jeremiah. Three things in terms of purpose, presence, and power. First, purpose. He says, for Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, I cannot speak. I'm too young. They won't listen to me. And God responds. He says, no, you can speak. I will tell you where to go, and I will tell you what to say. In, in other words, he, he was to go to, to really to run upon whatever divine errand God would give him. And he was to do so faithfully. This is, uh, is kind of like in my, my job description as a pastor. There's a last line that says, and whatever other responsibilities as determined by the senior pastor. That's what I'm called to do. Whatever else he desires me to do is what I'm going to do in my job description. And so it is for Jeremiah that that he is called to do whatever the Lord desires for him. To go where he wants him to go and to say what he wants him to say. See, God corrects Jeremiah. Jeremiah's problem was that he was looking to himself to carry out the task he was charged with. He was looking inward, if you will, to his own abilities 
in which to gain His confidence by which to do the work the Lord has called them to. And if, if that's where we look, then we will surely fail. We will fail. Because God says, your confidence doesn't come from yourself, it comes from Me. And, and only when your confidence in, is placed in Me, only when you trust in Me, Will you be successful in what I've called you to do? And so he gives Jeremiah a message. See, Jeremiah thought he was to be this grand orator, this, this speaker with great persuasive abilities to speak to these people and turn them away from their sin and their rebellion. And that's not what God called him to at all. What he called him to was to be a herald. Not, not a great speaker, not a rhetorician, but a herald. A herald just simply proclaims the Word. He speaks the Word, and then he allows God to take that Word and to work in the hearts of people to bring about His sovereign purposes. And, and, and when Jeremiah was corrected, he began to see exactly what he was being called to, and that God would be his confidence and would equip him to that. And so he had no cause to trust in his own abilities. The second thing we see God provide for Jeremiah is his very presence. For God says, do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. The them in this verse are the very people of God, Israel who were rebellious and hardened against the ways of God. And so it would be appropriate for this young man who's been given this great call to speak the Word of God to them to be afraid, to be fearful, to be timid. But but God says, no, there's no cause for you to be afraid because I am with you. And I will go with you and Jeremiah was right to be afraid of this people, but God's promised presence is the answer to his fears. And so it is for all of us amidst the trials of this life, where the anxiety and the fear are great. We need to be reminded of God's Word who says, I am with you. This is is really the course of redemptive history, isn't it? God, God, in giving a promise to Abraham to make him a, a great nation of many people, to make his name great, to give him purpose that, that he and they would be a blessing to the nations and to provide a place amidst that, God says, I will show you the land. That is, I will go with you. I will be with you, Abraham. That's the beginning of this this redemptive journey for God's people through the faith of Abraham that that relies totally on God's presence. And it continues throughout the Scriptures. It's exactly said to Isaac, God says, sojourn in this land and I will be with you. And to Jacob, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and I will be with you. And Jacob to Joseph says, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be 
with you and will bring you again to the land. And Moses, after the Exodus, says this, he says, when he objects to God, God says, but I will be with you and I will be with your mouth. And then to Joshua, God says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. It is at the heart and the foundation of redemptive history, of what it means to know God. And let me just skip ahead about 1,500 years and look to the book of Hebrews in chapter 13, where believers are exhorted to be content and not to fear because God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is the promise of God's presence for His people. And it is Jeremiah's only confidence. And not only is that true for Jeremiah, it's true for all who call upon Christ. God promises His presence that He will never leave nor forsake His people. Not only does He provide in terms of a purpose and a presence, but thirdly, in terms of power. See, God touched Jeremiah's lips. The the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. The final provision for Jeremiah was this power to speak. When God's hand touched Jeremiah's mouth, it, it gave him power and authority. God put His words into the prophet's mouth and those words were effective to accomplish God's will. Not only... Did he give Jeremiah his words? But he gave him his promise to watch over those words until they were fulfilled. Verse 12. Maybe you come this morning with an acute sense of your own weakness, your own inadequacy. I would suggest to you that that is a great grace from God. That it It's not pride that sustains you. But it's in seeing your own weakness that you would then be wholly dependent upon God's purpose for you, God's presence with you, and God's power. And for the New Testament believer, because of what Christ has done, because of His promise to send His Holy Spirit, that power today comes in the form of the Spirit who comes to dwell in the hearts of all who call upon Christ in faith. And it is a power to accomplish God's purposes, even amidst great hardship. So God provides for His prophet in the midst of weakness. And He provides for His people amidst the same kind of weakness. Let me suggest to you that the greatest calamity this world has ever known happened at the garden. When mankind rebelled against God and pursued his own way. And that led to the turmoil that we know and experience day in, day out in a fallen world. The pain and the anguish and the sorrow that that is the greatest calamity this world has ever known. 
And none of us are exempt from it. And the, the way we know the intensity of that is because of the solution that God offered, which is the sacrifice of His only Son. See, the cross tells us exactly how bad things really are. That the sacrifice of His perfect Son, fully God, fully man, who lived without sin, born of a virgin, had to die on the cross for our sin. That tells us truly how bad our state really was. But amidst that calamity, amidst that anguish of life, because of our rebellion against a holy, loving, faithful God, He provides for us. And He provides through His Son, Christ Jesus. And He gives us the same promise for all who call upon Christ. That in that faith and trust in Christ, we are made new. We are adopted into the family of God. We are declared just, righteous before a holy God. Without blemish, not because of our own righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. And we are called children of God, adopted into His family, and being made new every day, sanctified, being made holy, more like Christ. That's what Jesus accomplishes in making that possible for us on the cross. And He says to us, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is true amidst hardship, amidst trials, amidst disappointment, amidst the unknown that this year holds for us. That God will provide all that is needed in Christ. It is the same God who provided for Jeremiah, who provides for His children this day. The true God. So this faith that we speak of, to put the focus rightly on God, is a true faith when it trusts in the God who speaks amidst calamity when it trusts in the God who knows the unknown, and when it trusts in the God who provides even amidst our weakness. And that greatest provision is seen through His Son, Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we indeed are in awe of Your, of your provision, of Your kindness, of Your goodness, of Your mercy, of Your love, of Your faithfulness. Unto Jeremiah the prophet, and how in looking to Jeremiah and Your work and Your call upon him, we are rightly encouraged to look to Christ, to see again Your faithfulness unto Your people, that You provide all that is needed when You call Your people unto Yourself. And for those who come this day, Lord, perhaps um, unsure of these things, maybe doubting in the depths of their heart, wondering, where are you, Lord, amidst my tragedy and affliction, amidst sorrow? I ask you would grant them 
this kind of faith, to trust in your goodness, to trust in your sovereign wisdom and your divine purposes, and to follow you by faith because of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.